For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Love has carried us And now the scripture reading. It comes from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. <sighs> For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect. Able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a place among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, <laughs> not many should become teachers, and so uh, I get up to teach almost every week, sometimes more than one week. Uh, no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. So if you do something publicly and you get 10 compliments but one criticism, what are you thinking about the rest of the day? Of course. Now, there's actually some brain science behind that. So nerds perk up. We now know that uh, the brain handles bad information like Velcro. It just immediately sticks, but... Good feedback, affirmation, is like Teflon. It slips right off. So Kara, as she was receiving that affirmation, science tells us that she would need to reflect on that later for a minimum of 15 seconds so that that would start to embed inside of her soul and her spirit. Uh, now, uh, okay, nerds, 
Here's an all-play question, and all-play questions are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. Uh, why is that true, that bad information is like Velcro and affirmation or good information is like Teflon? Why is that true? Yes, Claire. There's a, it is a little evolutionary biology. We still have some prehistoric wiring in our brains because if you and Fred were out hunting and Fred got eaten by a tiger when you got too close to a cave, the next time you wander by that cave, you're gonna get a spurt of adrenaline that says, oh yeah, Fred got eaten by this tiger that lives in that cave. So you log that away and your adrenaline follows it. And so you learn to survive based on the bad behavior getting filtered and logged in as information that you need to survive. But if Phyllis tells you that your hair is looking striking today, you don't care because it doesn't help you survive as a prehistoric person. Uh, so um, the amygdala and the medial prefrontal cortex these days hears criticism and we respond the same way as if we would walk by the tiger's cave that ate Fred. We interpret, Steve, your talk today was not very helpful in those kinds of like, it feels like something is being attacked. And so the amygdala takes over, and uh, when the amygdala and prefrontal cortex are, are operating, almost no other parts of the brain can operate. It's like when you have two programs running on your computer that are, that's sucking up all the memory, and all of a sudden mail goes down and Twitter goes down and it just, you get the rainbow wheel of death. That's what, hap that's what happens every time you get a piece of criticism. Amygdala and the prefrontal cortex takes over. And so you have what, what is called an amygdala hijack, where you choose to fight or run? Now, here's an all-play question. How many fighters do we have in the room? When you get criticism, you're first. Alicia, nice. Uh, Brian, maybe. Linda, yeah, for sure. Joe, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, um, we don't live in prehistoric times anymore. So, here's the question. It's an all-play. What is being threatened? So when you get that, you get a shame wash, you know what I mean? Like when someone says something or you realize you sent that email and you didn't mean to send it, but you sent it, that shame wash that goes down your back, I'm the only person that feels that, clearly. <laughs> I'm the only person that's ever sent an email that he wasn't supposed to send. Um, <laughs> Stop sending those emails, Will says. What is being threatened nowadays? Because we don't typically wander by the cave of the tiger that ate Fred. So what is being threatened? Yes, Bob. Act so your ego, your ego was developed because all of us have strengths and shadows. We're all a mixed bag, amen? Yep, and that's why I say like, welcome to Genesis. We will absolutely disappoint you. And you'll disappoint us. And then we'll learn to deal with it. That is, 
because we're a mixed bag. But because we get these criticisms in our vulnerable spots from at a young age, we develop this ego defense. You could also think of it as a mask, right? And so we don't like feeling that tender, vulnerable part of us. We don't like when that gets threatened or criticized. So depending on the trauma that you experienced as a kid, you develop an ego defense. And it's helpful at first. You probably wouldn't survive without it. But over time, now that you're 47 years old, that mask that you created when you were seven isn't helpful to lead you into life and freedom. It actually inhibits your life and freedom. And so if you have an overdeveloped ego defense mechanism, either by fighting or by running, then the true self or the soul uh, will just stay in hiding. And you'll find yourself... Uh, you'll find yourself saying things that might sound like a restless evil or full of deadly poison. And some of us curse people to, to their faces. Others of us just have that internal dialogue going on where you think of the exact right thing to say after the conversation and you nail them and it's like it's so delicious until it doesn't feel delicious anymore and it feels kind of yucky. And then you rehearse it over and over and over again. This is what I should have said. Why didn't I say that? And other people say it right to the person. Uh, and maybe it feels powerful at first, but then later on it feels you've just fed the ego or the mask. Um, here's what Richard Rohr says about the ego. The ego is that part of the self that wants to be significant, central, and important by itself apart from anybody else. It wants to be both separate and superior. It is defended and self-protected by its very nature. It must eliminate the negative to succeed at this. The ego is what Jesus called an actor, usually translated from the Greek as hypocrite. So when we have an overdeveloped mask, or ego self, we only have two options when criticism comes. We can look Christian and say, oh, and then later on gossip about it or just stew about it and feel terrible about them and count them an enemy for the rest of our lives. Even if we don't know that person, like let's say someone blasts something on Twitter that's offensive, all of a sudden, and you just feel enraged. This probably didn't happen to anyone this week. <laughs> and then you start feeding off of that energy because it really does feel like that adrenaline feels at first. It feels like power. But all of a sudden, you, you realize like that person has gotten into my head like an earworm and I can't get them out. And it, it starts to feed you, but you're in prison. Whether you flee or whether you fight, uh, this was probably, gosh, 15 years ago now, but I was in this job that I was not, I, I kind of hated, and I really wasn't doing well. And I was doing some preaching, and um, the 
pastor that I was working for brought me and my, one of my best friends at the time into his office, and he just went after me, and he said, your, your, your preaching is terrible. Like, there was a big room, you're not feeling the room, you're not connecting with people, and you have not found your voice. And then he pointed to the guy sitting next to me, who was my close friend, and said, you have. Now, because my background as a kid was that I stuttered, me having a voice was like so central to my identity, much more so, I think, than most people. And I had built this ministry where I used my words. And then I had gotten to this big church where I thought, yes, this is going to feed my ego. And instead, I sat in that office, and I didn't fight. I ran. But it, it, like, I, it has taken me so long. Now, I think truly that pastor was a little bit of a loose cannon, probably an eight on the Enneagram for you any Enneagram nerds. But he wasn't wrong. I hadn't found my voice at that place. Something was really messed up about how I was interacting. Something wasn't right. Now, he could have said that differently. I wish he would have. But now I can see that there was a shadow side in me that was, I, I, that place was not right for me. And I needed to not be in that place. Uh, and that was a catalyst to help me realize that, that conversation. So at the end of the day, that conversation was a huge gift. It helped me to clarify. But like, if you're waiting for that perfect moment that someone's going to be both direct and perfectly loving and perfectly kind and tell you exactly what you need to hear in such a way that you can both feel encouraged and feel challenged, then you better pray a lot because God is the only person that might do that. <laughs> and because we can't hear God very well, we're going to interpret that as differently anyway. So don't wait for that moment, right? So we can talk about the true self and the false self or the soul level and the ego level. But the problem I think these days is we have so much, so many tools. I joked about the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, all these different areas that our self-awareness is, is higher than it's ever, ever been. But I think the problem is that we typically don't have the connection to the true self or the soul level down enough. So we now know about our shadow side and ego self, and every time we see it come up, I think what we do is we try to attack it with our ego self. We feel bad about the fact that, oh, I said that thing, I can't believe it. There I am again, I did it again. Versus saying, well, okay, no, that was a reaction. Why did I have that reaction? Oh, that's interesting. How fascinating. Versus you can amygdala hijack yourself, amen? And you do it all the time. I do it all the time. So how do we escape from that? So the gospel text this week in the lectionary was from Mark 8, and it's that awesome, I couldn't choose between, between them, uh, but it's the, it's the text where Jesus calls Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. 
Because Jesus says, hey, who do the people say I am? And then the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, still others say you're other people. And then he says, who do you, who do you say I am? And then Peter says, well, we think you're Jesus the Christ. And he says, well done, Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then he goes on to say, now listen, you guys, my road from here on out is gonna be rough. I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be raised again in, in three days. And then it says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Like you do. And then Jesus, that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you're putting your mind on things of the world instead of things of the divine. So Jesus is pulling out this, this ego self and, and soul self there with Peter. You are thinking that you're going to defend me or that I'm going to get my kingdom done on earth by any other way other than self-sacrifice? You're, you're not thinking at the soul level. You're thinking at the ego level, and it doesn't work. And so when you hear Jesus say things like, you're not setting your mind on things above, you're setting your, thing on, th your mind on things below, he's not saying like, so don't you think about Cardi B this week. Um, don't you be hanging out at Wicked Ward. It's in what ways are you continuing to operate on the ego self, which is always gonna defend and always gonna judge. The ego self has to classify things as good or bad, right or wrong, you or me, us or them. That's what the ego does. That's the only way the ego knows how to make um, sense out of life. And the Christ, the universal, cosmic, has existed before all of time Christ, says, you can continue to live that way, ego defended, but you will always see life in terms of right and wrong. And you'll end up projecting your stuff that you hate about yourself onto everybody else. Or there's a way of living that is based off of the soul. And that's when he says, for those of us who want to save their life, we'll lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what will it profit them even if the ego defends their kingdom and castle to the point where you get to be the king of the world? What will it profit you if your ego self catapults you to the highest position in the world? but you don't ever connect with your soul. It will profit you none. The Christ is operating at an entirely different, different level of consciousness. There is a soul consciousness that God communicates to us, and it's all love. God communicates to our true self, not our false self. God communicates to our soul, not our ego, and it's absolute unconditional grace and love. So if you can identify your ego self, your false self, your mask self, don't try to destroy it. Thank it. Say, thank you. You got me through some tough times. Man, without you, I probably wouldn't have survived. But now, I'm firing you. 
because you just aren't helpful anymore. Because I want to connect with the world and my own soul and God from the soul level, which is divine union and love flowing back and forth, where you don't immediately identify things as right or wrong, good or bad, where you identify things as connected. And this is why we do the Eucharist every week, where all of us in this room and all around the world, people are taking in the Christ, taking in the, the, the wine, the blood, and that's what unifies us. Not our positions on anything, not our ego defenses, but this soul-divine connection where Jesus, the Christ, fills us and we go out from this place filled. But then we have to come back because <laughs> our ego defenses creep back in even, even when we fired them. So my brothers and sisters, my invitation to you, when you see the false self at work, is not to crucify it. Don't try to beat it at its own game. Befriend it. Befriend it, thank it, and then say you're just not helpful anymore. I want to live at the soul level. Amen. Amen.